That is the mission of Christ City Church. It's becoming followers of Jesus who recover their lives, who reimagine their purpose and refresh their world. There's, there's three parts, three big parts, recover, reimagine, and refresh. But there's, there's also this really important verb in there in the beginning, becoming, becoming followers of Jesus, which that just means we're in that process continuously. If we're, if we're honest about it, we never really arrive. We're never like, wow, now, now I know I'm following Jesus's footsteps perfectly. I'm just, I'm just doing it exactly the right way and exactly like he would. And so, um, when we look at the mission of Christ City, that's something that we are engaging in is this constant flow and change of life that we see and how that affects us as disciples. In this passage that I read, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they're asking him, hey, why don't your disciples behave just like John the Baptist's disciples? And Jesus tells them, well, uh, he gives them this sort of enigmatic thing about the bride and the bridegroom. But essentially he's saying, hey, the situation that my disciples are in is a little bit different. And because there's a difference, it requires a different approach. And there's gonna be a time where they will engage in those things that you're asking about, the fasting and whatnot and those types of disciplines, but it's not right now. There was this, this dynamism to the way that Jesus moved through life. He was never stagnant. He was never just locked into a single way of doing things. He responded to each person differently. That's what half of the gospels are, is Jesus having individual interactions with people. And you're like, oh, I know what he's about to say. And then he says something different than what he said to anybody else before. And, and so we see this picture of uh, of moving dynamic things in the parable that Jesus shares. He talks about clothing and this old clothing where a new patch is put on it. And he's saying, you're gonna ruin both things doing that because this new patch, really think about a new patch of clothing. It's not pre-shrunk, right? They didn't have that back in the day. And so that's gonna tear that new garment. It's gonna destroy the other garment. And then also you're thinking about the wine skins and we don't have wine skins anymore. We've got boxes of wines with you know synthetic plastic on the inside. But, but, but back in Jesus's time, if you put new wine into old wine skins, the skins had become brittle and they weren't flexible anymore. But the new wine, it was still moving about. It was still gestating and doing all kinds of stuff and it was bubbling and there were gases and we know how bad it is if you try to hold gas in when it needs to come out. And so he gave those illustrations, both of them, to talk about the type of discipleship that Jesus was promoting, that he was showing his disciples about. It was dynamic. It was changing. It was fluid. It responded to life as life came and as life changed. When, uh, when I was um, in, my, in my kind of mid-20s, not 21, Becky says, every time I tell a story, I'm, I'm either 21 or something else. So I was in my, I was in my mid twenties. I was probably 25 or 26. And, uh, I was, I was talking to this friend of ours. She's actually going to be here in October. She, she runs an, uh, uh, an orphanage and reconnection center in outside of Nairobi, Kenya. Um, she's going to be here, uh, and we're going to host her to talk about her ministry. But, um, 
I was talking to her and she was having what I thought was guy problems. I thought she was just having guy problems masquerading as a faith issue, right? And so um, like I've heard some pastors say about uh, this idea of deconstructing your faith. It's like, oh, if you really know the gospel, you don't deconstruct, you know, because it's so, you know, great and awesome. You never have to deconstruct from it. So, but I was sitting across from somebody and that was the kind of perspective I probably had at the time, even though that term wasn't really popular at that time. And she was saying, well, hey, what about this history of Christianity? What about the Crusades and like all the terrible things that were done in the name of the cross and all that kind of stuff? That was her perspective. That's what she was thinking about. And I was just on this one line track of like, she's just trying to avoid, she doesn't want to submit to God. She just wants to date this dude who's not a Christian. And so I was just kind of like, just had this narrow mindset in this conversation. And it was a terrible conversation. I mean, I, I looked back, it was the kind of conversation, you know, the kind that you wake up in the middle of the night and it pops into your head and then you can't fall back asleep because you feel so much shame about it. Anybody have one of those conversations? Yeah, it, and the rest of you are lying. So um, it was one of those conversations. And, and, and what I, what I, failed to understand at that point in my very fervent faith, which I think everybody goes through this stage on one level or another, was that the discipleship, the following of Jesus is actually a new and constantly renewing thing. And, and that's, that's where our mission comes from. It comes from this realization, this reality. And, and once you've experienced it, you see it all throughout the scriptures. You see it everywhere in the life of Jesus. But that, the, that following Jesus is a new way of operating in the world, and it's a renewing thing. It renews continuously throughout your life. So we recognize that at Christ City. And that is in contrast, this, this way of living is in contrast to the way that our culture, whether it be secular or, or in, in the church, sort of operates right now. And, and so we've got this mission that says becoming followers of Jesus who have this dynamic relationship with Jesus and with the world where we recover our lives that doesn't sound like, go take the hill, does it? <laughs> go take the hill, charge, right? That's what mission statement's supposed to be. And then reimagine your purpose, and lastly, refresh your world. And, and the, the contrast with that in our culture, in our world, secular or Christian, is this sort of idea of you work really hard with your values and your expectations until you burn out, right? Yeah, you, you work really hard, and then eventually you burn out. And once you burn out, then you kind of like have to regather yourself, you know, limp away and, and do this kind of, and I see the screen lit up, so Ben's showing uh, my, my chart here. So uh, we'll go ahead and talk about it. Um, so this idea of, of, of burnout and blame. Uh, so we, we work really hard, Let's start, let's start with the, uh, with the unmet, unmeetable expectations because that's where we end up burning out from. We have these unmeetable expectations and they come from inside, they, come, they were externalized at first, they were external at first, we internalize them and they're expectations we have for ourselves that we have for others. If we go to church, we have them for the church that we attend, we have them for our spouses, our families. We have these unmeetable expectations that ultimately they don't get met. 
And so what we are doing then, we're living our life out of this sense of, I've got to achieve and other people should be achieving these things. And I'm basing those things not off of a sense of uh, internal fulfillment, but instead I'm basing them off of what I see. It's comparative, it's judgmental, it's grass is greener on the other side. And that those two things eventually working together lead to a place of burnout because other people aren't meeting your expectations. You're not meeting your own expectations. And there's always somebody who's doing better than you at whatever things you're measuring about. And that ends you in the place, if you burn out under, in this cycle, you're going to need to look for somebody to blame. You're gonna to need to blame other people. So it's this not if burnout happens, but when burnout happens in this cycle. And this is what most of us have been trained and educated into thinking. In, in contrast to that, Jesus has something different to talk to people who've been experiencing these things when he talks about this in, in Matthew 11. Let's pull that up. Matthew 11 uh, and verses 28 through 30, he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <clears throat> Jesus is saying this in the midst of a burnout culture. He's saying this to people who have been taught and trained by their leaders in their community that this is the way that you need to live. You need to have unmeetable expectations for yourself, which then gets transferred out to other people where you continue to compare uh, and, and, and compare how good am I doing because you don't know inside because it's just these expectations you're trying to meet. So you have to try to compare outside and eventually you just get burnt out, you get tired. And Jesus is saying, I know where you're at on that. You can come to me and you can find rest and I can actually show you a different way of living. We all come to this point where we need to hear those words of Jesus. But what do we do when we get to that point? Uh, that's, that's really important because you can just continue that cycle over and over and over and say, well, Jesus didn't mean that for me. He meant that for somebody else. Or just imagine that that's really, that's really not the, the voice that I need to listen to. There's these other verses and that's what I'm gonna hold on to so I can keep doing those things that I do. Here's one of the scriptures that that often happens with. The greatest commandment, two parts to it. The greatest commandment. It's love God and love who? People, love others, right? except that's not what it actually says. That's not what Jesus actually says. He says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, minds, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. So really, if we take away the sort of archaic syntax and we put it in our kind of order of a sentence, it would be love God, love yourself, and to the measure that you love yourself, is then the measure that you can apply that love in your relationships. Ooh, that's different. That's different. 
If we were to live that way, we might not end up in burnout so often. That might not be such an acceptable thing. Isn't it so acceptable just to say nowadays, like, oh yeah, I burned out. Like we just say it like it's nothing. And, and it's really a, a huge tragic thing. Like you burned out? Like you were, you were like a lit match and then you just crumpled into nothing? Like you burned away? That doesn't sound like life. But we think it's fine. We think kind of like, that's, that's what we need to do. And we apply this type of scripture and this type of thinking, whether it's in or outside the church, and we do things like this. We neglect ourselves to serve others because that's what God told us to do. Love God, love others. And, and then we get exhausted. And, and then nobody is doing in our minds, our unmeetable expectations, as much as we're doing for them, for us. Even though we didn't say anything, we didn't say we needed anything, we didn't take uh, that into consideration to ask for what we need. We were in this transactional, this sort of unspoken transactional relationship. If I love God and I serve and love other people, then they should be able to read my mind, know what I need and take care of me which doesn't happen. It's never happened once in all of reality. And so then what happens? You get what? Burnt out. And then Jesus is over here saying, hey, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will open. Ask for what you need. The first thing we are each responsible for is ourselves. So if we need things, we gotta take care of ourselves. If we expect other people, if we expect to deny our own needs and we try to serve other people hoping they'll do for us what only we can do for ourselves, we end up burnt out. So at some point, you can hit the bottom of that so hard that you can say, you know what? It doesn't make sense to keep living this way. I think I'm tired of burning out. I think, I think there might be a different way to live and you become open to possibilities that you were convinced weren't possibilities before. You ever talk to somebody who's totally locked in their frame of thinking and they're telling you about a problem in their life and you can think of a lot of really great options. Hey, have you tried this? No, that wouldn't work because of this. Well, what about that? I've, when, when I did this thing over here, it really helped in my life. No, that couldn't work for me because of X, Y, Z. They're unhelpable because they've been so locked into a certain way of thinking. By the way, this is all of us at different points in our life. It could be you right now. That we just can't think about a different way. But if you hit the bottom of that hard enough, you can begin to hear Jesus's words differently. Rest, recovery of life, those things are options for me. You can begin to remember pieces of conversations where there was somebody you met and you didn't understand them. How did they live so free and so light? How did they give so freely? How did they speak so directly about what they needed and what they didn't want? Why were they able to do that? How were they able to do that? We, we stop writing those things off and we begin to think, maybe, maybe this could work for me. If you get to that point and you you have a shift in your mind where you say, Jesus said these things and there's people who live this way and maybe I can have it too. 
and you can begin to recover your life. This is really hard to do in church because if we just think about our church right now, Sunday morning on Labor Day, like we, we had to work really hard to find all the volunteers we need just to hold a service for however many people would show up. And, and churches in general run through a bunch of volunteers, right? So what if half your volunteers are like, I need rest. So a lot of churches say, well, let's just toss a little bit of shame in there, toss a little bit of motivation in there and those kind of things just to pump people up a little bit longer and keep them going a little bit longer. And then when they burn out, we'll grab the other ones. Nobody, nobody thinks exactly that way, but it's so normalized. You kind of just run until you fall over and then, okay, they're out for a little while. Let's get some other people who can run until they fall over. Right? But if you get to this point where you realize one of the most spiritual tasks that you have in front of you is to take responsibility for your own needs and do whatever you need to do to get those needs met in a healthy way. Then you are starting to experience this recovery of life. And when you do that, I don't mind. When you do that, new possibilities begin to open up to you you begin to say, hey, if I was wrong about all of this over here about how I was living my life, maybe other people are right about some of the other ways that things were offered. Maybe I can see things and shift things from a different perspective. And you begin to say, maybe I don't have to do this job that's working me 60 hours a week. Maybe, maybe I don't have to run after my spouse trying to make sure they never get upset or get unhappy about anything and try to fix everything for them. Maybe I can actually like tend to myself and let them have their feelings and we can go apart and we can come back together and we can live life like that, like sane people. And then you, all, you start to have this space open up in your heart and your mind. Like maybe, maybe there are other things I could, I could do and you start to have an imagination about what those things could be. And they aren't in that cycle of, of unmet expectations and blame and burnout and all of that. And that's where we get to the second part of our mission, which is to reimagine their purpose, becoming followers of Jesus who recover their lives. They learn from Jesus a new way of living, to tend to themselves, to care for themselves, to take responsibility for their own needs and get those needs met from God and others without having to go through some crazy midlife crisis or an affair or some workaholic job or something like that. I know I'm stepping on toes because we all are in some level of that along the way most of the time. And so then we get to reimagine once, once we move and we shift out of that. And, and one of the clearest points of this in the ministry of Jesus is when he starts the Sermon on the Mount. And, he's, and he, starts, he starts to talk about a different way of living. And do you know the, the Beatitudes in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where he starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. You know, we're about to look at it in a second. I've been studying that my whole adult life, and I've never read the same interpretation of those verses, not one time. It's always a little bit different, and depending on the lens somebody's looking at it from, it can be extremely shameful. It can be all about that same burnout cycle, or it can be like, this just doesn't make any sense at all. And I think 
Part of the reason is because it's so foreign to that way that we've learned to deny ourselves, to hold other people to impossible expectations and then burn out, then blame other people and do it all over again. It just doesn't make a lot of sense unless we're in a recovery of life place. So let's just read those out loud. And I want you to pretend, it's impossible, but try anyway, that you've never heard it before and that you didn't know what it meant and that all the ideas that somebody gave to you about it, just pretend they don't know what they were talking about, except for when I tell you. So starting in Matthew chapter five, verses three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I really don't think any of this actually can make sense the way Jesus lived it and meant it if you have not come to the end of the program of happiness that you thought was gonna fix life for you the unmet expectations you have for all the people, all the churches, all the organizations in your life until you've realized that ain't gonna work and you need help beyond that. I don't think you can understand some of the most, it's also, by the way, the most studied passage of scripture over the entire world of all religions, of all faiths, those, those uh, words right there. I don't think it can happen. So, when you do get to this place, you think about it reimagining your purpose. You think about things outside of those shame narratives of your life, those unmet expectations of your life. You begin to think, I could have a different kind of job. I could interact with my family and my church a different way. I could repair a relationship or at least on my end, make amends in a relationship that seemed like it was broken. I could live with healthy boundaries and margins and have a true day of rest. I said this before, just in last week or the week before, but the idea of the day of Sabbath, the day of rest in scripture. It's one of the most important themes that comes up over and over again to truly rest, to find recovery of life, rest for your souls. And if you're burning out or you've burnt out and you're back in that cycle again, it means you don't know how to rest. And it means you're not gonna figure it out on your own. You've gotta come to Jesus. You've gotta come to people who you've seen that know how to rest. And you've gotta ask for help because living the life of a disciple of Jesus is dynamic. It's not you do the same thing till you fall over, then as soon as you get back up, you start banging your head against that same wall. It's scary, it's hard. The last part of the mission, becoming followers of Jesus who recover their lives reimagine their purpose, and lastly, refresh their world. Refresh their world. 
when a person lives this way, when a person rests and finds recovery and doesn't have to do it all and doesn't have to expect it all from other people, doesn't have to pretend like they're expressing what they need and they really aren't, who can imagine different ways of living, who can take feedback from other people, who can actually say, yes, there are solutions to my problems if I ask others for help. They get to experience a refreshment, a refreshment of life, not a burnout, blame, and do it all over again, but refreshment, like a cool glass of water after a workout. Nobody says after, after doing a nice, reasonable workout and drinking a big glass of water, I'm burnt out. They say, ah, that was refreshing. I feel so much better. I, can, I think I can do my day better now, and I, my, my endorphins are going and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus ends this parable that we read at the beginning here from Luke the, about the old wineskins. He says that nobody who wants, or nobody who's drank the old wine wants the new. That this type of refreshment is really, it's, 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 it's out of reach for those of us who still believe in the burnout cycle. In, in fact, um, those of us who live in the burnout cycle, when we see somebody or we hear somebody operating this way, we could in fact say, that's wrong. You're not supposed to live that way. Where's your shame? Where's your, where's your guilt about the way you enjoy sporty playtime, right? Or, or Sunday night, uh, Sunday afternoon, awesome time where everybody plays the most eclectic combination of sports ever. Um, there's a, I, I preached about this last year when we spent time on each one of these in a, in a separate sermon, but I want to read this scripture to you from Mark chapter 14, verses three, three through nine. It's a refreshing story. It's, a, it's the story of a woman anointing Jesus's feet. And I want to read it for you because there's different reactions that people have to the events in this story. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, talking about Jesus is the one in Bethany, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. It's really good stuff. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. What is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about that there are dynamic situations and scenarios in life. There's, there's times when things change. You can't apply the same rules and logic the same to every dynamic situation. You can't live out of rigidity and expect a refreshing life. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Y'all didn't know that, did you? Hmm. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So groups there, 
This woman comes in, she does this dynamic move. Nobody even thought to do this. She pours this ultra expensive perfume on Jesus. She acts with spontaneity, but it's also something she had to plan and prepare for ahead of time. She's operating with a plan and spontaneity at the same time. She pours this onto Jesus. Jesus responds in the moment, thinks about what's going on. He's able to be present with this person. And he's saying, this is a beautiful thing. But some of the folks there, some of the disciples, they don't understand it. They're still thinking, hey, there's only one way to apply these things in life. There's only one plan. Of course, really awesome to help the poor, right? But in this moment, Jesus is saying, no, what she did was good. And it was spontaneous and it was dynamic and it met real relational needs in the world. And it's a refreshing thing to some of us. To some of us. For some, that smell of that perfume was like, oh, what a beautiful thing. I would have never thought to do that. This changes my perspective on what's possible and how to care and love people and all of this. For other people, they were just angry. How does she get to do something like that? That's so irresponsible. Burnout cycle. So when we look at this, when we see this, kind of contrasted. We see the burnout cycle and sort of the mission of CCC. It looks like this, Christ City Church. It looks like this. When, yeah, maybe the bulb burned out on the, uh, on the projector there. There we go. So at some point, Likely, Hey, by the way, if you're not in the burnout cycle, don't worry about anything I'm saying. You're good, right? You're good. So you, don't have to, you don't have to contend with this, right? Um, you could come share, you know, soon. Uh, so you're living with these unmeetable expectations, and it leads you to have to achieve things uh, comparatively, and then you burn out. Then you've got a choice. Most people choose blame most times in their life. That's the midlife crisis attitude. That's the church hopping every couple of years as soon as there gets to be relational tension or somebody says something you don't like or whatever it is. That's the job switching constantly. That's the third marriage. That's these types of things. Most people choose blame. If I can arrange my external environment properly, then my unmet expectations will get met. And then the cycle continues. But for those of us who take the words of Jesus seriously about recovery of life, about love God, love yourself, and love others, we can escape from the burnout pattern, the burnout cycle, and we can move into recovery instead of blame. How did I get here? Why, why did I get to the point where life became so unmanageable for me? And who can help me? Who can help me? Instead of, it's all their fault, I'm just gonna burn those bridges and then life's gonna be good until I burn the next set of bridges. And through that recovery, we get to move into, whoa, there are things possible in my life I didn't think were possible. There's a way to live that opens up things to me. And all of a sudden, I'm remembering these conversations, I'm remembering the words of Jesus in a different type of way, and I'm experiencing a freedom. My chest doesn't feel so heavy. We replace our unmeetable expectations and our comparative achievements with getting to find a new way of experiencing purpose in our life. 
there is no other place left that we could end up except for in a refreshing place in our life. Refreshment instead of burnout. We can refresh our world. And then over time, we find ourselves in a pattern that starts to get rigid again. It might be 10 years, it might be five years, it might be 20 years. You might die before you get there. But if you do get there, then you get to do the process again. Instead of jumping back into the burnout cycle, you just get to experience a deeper level of recovery of life. You get to then reimagine with all the things that you've learned, all the ways you've learned not to have unmeetable expectations of yourself and other people. And you get to go through the process again, becoming followers of Jesus. It's, a, it's actually really exciting on that side of things. It's, it's actually possible to live a life without burnout. I, w- I want you guys to hear me. It is possible to live a life without burnout, not without sadness, not without grief, not without pain, but yes, without burnout. That's our mission at Christ City is to help people live that way. We'll never be a mega church with this mission. We'll never have... We'll never have 10 campuses. I'm never going to be on a satellite beaming this into other people because it happens one-on-one. It happens in small groups. It happens in relationships, these kinds of things being passed to one another. It's a beautiful mission. It's not a take, take, take the hill at any cost mission because the guy that we worship and serve, he died on the hill, not fighting, not, not, with the, not with the AK-47. He died on the hill for, for his enemies, for us. So this is, this is our mission at Christ City. And I think it's pretty refreshing. Let's pray.